Hi, this is Georgina Terry. Today I'm talking to Jackie Phelan. I mean, how could you not know who Jackie Phelan is? Like, super mountain biker, paved many paths for women, recognized in all sorts of incredible ways, and giving back to the sport and to women in the sport in many ways as well, through wombats and other activities. Uh, it's surprising to both of us that we've never spoken to each other before, but now we're finally going to get the chance this was a lot of fun. So how are you? I'm well, feeling better than ever. Every year cool. I seem to get better. <laughs> that's, that's a great thing. I turn 55 I... tomorrow. So oh, you I'm... do? Happy birthday. Yeah, I'm very stoked. Fantastic. Are you doing anything special? Well, there's a tunnel that just opened in Marin County. The county has 11 tunnels that were put in for resource extraction 100 years ago, and it was never thought that they would ever be opened again, um, but with zillions of dollars and lots of lobbying, one has been opened, and uh, we dream of having other ones open. So it's just in time for me to be able to noodle through when I'm 90, you know, but instead of going over the hill. So the grand opening is tomorrow, and that's a nice coincidence. And so is it like part of a bike trail in that area? Sort of, yeah. It's a, it's a hole in a hill that has existed for 100 years. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, a potentially a rail, a, a true rail, you know, system. Yeah. And uh, it's a really skinny little hole because we're separated from what, the train hole. They, it used to be a big hole, and then they just divided it. So oh, we'll be wow. kind of like uh, going down a long straw, uh, yeah. well-lit, cement-lined, lots of – it's it's different. Um, well, anyway, and they're talking about all the cameras they'll have. I. It'll just be nice to be able to bore through a hill. It's not as good as the, uh, or as useful as other holes and hills, but uh, one is a good start. Oh, that's fantastic. So I hope nobody's claustrophobic doing this. Well, I'm sure they just won't go. <laughs> yeah, that's the best solution. Or just close your eyes and pedal like crazy. <laughs> right. And well, hope you come out the other end. On those, uh, on that note, it's sort of tempting to uh, riff on the idea of the tunnel vision in the bike industry. Is that okay to just like go from one It's perfectly okay. Back and, uh, to a, a really lame analogy? I, I absolutely encourage it because I just think it keeps things a little bit more lively that way. So <laughs> Here's the deal. Um, I You had mentioned that we might talk about women-specific designs and stuff, yeah. but I, I'm not... Um, wired that way i've actually yeah, yeah. only in the 30 years i've been racing uh begun to pay attention to whatever it is someone's riding i'm paying more attention to what they're wearing and what their face looks like and so <laughs> when somebody says the purple cannondale you know was really nice and lent me some brownies i don't know what they're talking about and uh-huh. <clears throat> i could like elaine Mariel once uh took me out on a ride and was so hurt that i didn't notice that she had a brand new red bicycle <laughs> Um, and I just, it's sort of a, an affliction. I don't care, and I'm not a tool-using primate. So what I can say is that the, what I know about is that uh, gendered uh, equipment makes, in a way, kind of makes sense, although I'm, I think the uh, tunnel vision of the industry is specifically about pinking it and shrinking it and also somehow expecting women to care about women champions. And I think that your average rider male or female, but especially female, doesn't know or care who um, Ginny Longo is or whatever. You know, there's, right, just, right. there's a direct line, uh, a genetic uh, whatever, t- 
to, to caring, where men are somehow much more easily led through the, the nose or something to, to emulate their sporting heroes and, and wear all the Lycra and stuff. Of course, there's plenty of women that wear Lycra that's logoed like crazy, and they're even built like me, which is essentially I look exactly like a guy, especially for uh-huh. that. I think um, you described yourself as Bernard, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I'm his weight and height and yeah, his, yeah. his ferociousness. Um, <laughs> my, but he didn't have lace gloves and, and a skirt and pearls and all these silly female tropes to to kind of make fun of um, uh-huh. the fact that I was both a woman and declared a, a non-woman because I was too strong and stuff. <laughs> oh my God! So I rode like a guy. And uh, and I couldn't talk intelligently about my bike, which was uh, easily 20 years ahead of its time. Yeah, for but sure. From your what I've read, it absolutely know. was. Yeah, he, he uh, Charlie Cunningham's the the um, frame builder who made the bike that I rode for nine seasons without ever having to replace the frame or anything, which helped add a little um, credibility to the fact that aluminum is not a bad material if you know how to heat treat. If you know, yes. Exactly. And Charlie certainly knows his stuff. He also had the first sloping top tubes. He, he, he's only made sloping top tube bikes, which got a lot of, um, of, of weird stares and, and uh, the usual pointed jeering and stuff. The uh, the cycling world is shockingly conservative. Yeah, and they definitely anything are. different is laughed at. And I would usually just say, well, you'll, you'll be riding it when you're paid to relax. Anyway, um, uh-huh. the, the, the I, I would like to somehow be part of the bike industry, but the only way I've managed to be in it is when, um, say, Trek likes my web page so much that they sh- reshoot an identical photo with different women in front of a, the same vintage Airstream, a black and white photo, and have that be their ad for years on women-specific design. No kidding, really? No, not at all. Yeah. It's uh you just anytime you see an airstream trailer with four women in uh, yeah. in, in black and That's white. You? That's you. Well, no, it's my web page with it's only your web page. I mean, yeah. Well, it's reshot, so it's not yeah. me and two wombats at a table with beers on them. It's four women instead of three. One of them looks a lot like Julie Furtado, but isn't. So that's another nauseating, um, you know, like borrow her brand by somebody who looks a lot like her, right? But not right, actually right. her. Yep. And then the same composition, bikes leaning against the door the trailer and I've had this airstream for a very long time so anyway uh, when I asked Trek if they would consider contributing anything to Wombats for my having solved their women's um, you know marketing for the year mm-hmm. or longer they just didn't know what I was talking about and um, I, I tried to talk to lawyers but the lawyers needed me to have a bottomless war chest mm-hmm. yes absolutely uh, all I can do is claim that I, well I so I just uh, in my resume I just do marketing for Trek <laughs> And then I'll put the two pictures next to each other in my book. I love it. I'm working on an autobiography called a Fabulous Me. Uh, <laughs> I haven't figured out the subtitle yet, but just a little uh, pompous, egotistical something to uh, to be a proper role model, a sourdough role model for for women who are just you know like not allowed to even own their own whatever greatness they have. We always uh-huh. have to be self um, effacing. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I know all about that. Um, uh-huh. I just refused. So. Yep, yep, yep. Wow, oh. that is 
that is really amazing. That is amazing. You know, when I look at the bicycle industry, I just see this incredible mist of marketing mania. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, it envelops everyone, and, and they become caught up in it. And, and there's not necessarily any fact, any mm-hmm. reasoning, anything scientific going on behind it. It's as though it's just so easy to to fall into the glitz and not worry about anything else. And I personally find it very upsetting. Mm, I don't blame you for having an emotional reaction um, (laughs) because it's like, uh, well, I remember Tom Ritchie um, at Crested Butte in maybe 84 saying to Charlie Cunningham around the fire that it's just his bikes, Charlie's bikes were way too advanced, way too complicated, weren't made of traditional materials, and that the editors of magazines don't have the engineering background to be able to assess them properly. And all Charlie did just sort of nodded but told me later, you know, this guy, this is a guy whose bikes have been on the cover for, you know, at least two years. Everybody was so uh, completely infatuated with mountain bikes. And he didn't have any problem with the uh, non-discerning um, of the average bike magazine editor. And it is true that they're very few engineers or whatever, you know, and, and Tom is uh, a self-taught uh, brazing, welding wizard. He's a workaholic and stuff, but he totally couldn't understand aluminum. And for many, many years, all the companies had, took a special pains to uh, try to cut away the or to chop away at the, the validity of aluminum as a material. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, steel as real is just a is just a, the tip of the iceberg. But there would be stuff passed out to pros that were going to be giving talks at, at um, race events and stuff. If they're going to be talking to any beginners, and my my time to give a talk was came up, and somebody offered me this handy tip sheet in case I didn't know what to say. And the first thing was, make sure you get a bike made of steel. And I just like you know <laughs> tore it up and said, okay, who. Who who typed this up? Was it Gabe Fu? You know, who worked for Specialized? And because uh, there was definitely this like steel is the only way to do it. And it, 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 the fact is, it's really not easy to make a good aluminum frame that doesn't um, fail. Ask Gary Klein, uh-huh. or bend and curve. Ask Cannondale. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So it, you know that that those are what gave aluminum the bad name, but not not the actual material. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So. Um, and I actually got to write something, and I think I'm the only one. Maybe you've written for Bike Science, or I think it's called Bicycle Science, or uh, like a, a quarterly. Do you remember? Yeah, there was Cycling Science for a long time, and then there was a publication called Bike Tech, which was Bike on Tech. the bicycling Bike magazine. Tech. Yeah, in yeah. 1984, I, uh, Charlie developed a tool for causing head tube to fail, uh, or was it head tube or top tube? But anyway, what he did was he he reversed uh, a scissor jack to cause pushing action on a fork rather than pulling and yeah. um, measured the amount of torque that it took to deform the, the frames of a steel yeah. and an aluminum because uh, assuming that it doesn't matter how long it takes you to deliver the force, you can uh, learn how many times more pressure, mm-hmm. you know, even if it takes 10 minutes to kind of like, <laughs> and then finally, whoop, fail, you know, wrinkle, it would just be a wrinkle. And I wrote it up, and uh, I had a lot of fun writing it, and I, we concluded that you know it took two and a half times or two and a third times as much force to deform the aluminum bike, Charlie's bike. So we thought, well, that means you can run into two and a third um, tough or you know, harder tree, you know, like a petrified tree, or you can go into a tree two and a half times faster. But, you know, all these wonderful pr- 
properties of aluminum mean that you can be more stupid when you're riding because mm-hmm. it takes more. And uh, I, mm-hmm. I, it took me a while to find the magazine because that's a really long, long time ago. But uh, even though I don't know how to write about technical subjects, Charlie just gave me all the science and then just let me play with the, the uh, silly metaphors and stuff. And that is like the only tool I know how to, to operate is a pen and um, well, and a uh, bar end shifters. You know, I, I I'm really good at using a bicycle when it's. I love bar end shifters. <laughs> yeah, so, I, you know, just because you know how to ride a bike doesn't mean you have to know how to fix it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Even even friends of mine before I was a racer would just say, "Look, you can't be a racer if you don't know how to uh, take a bike apart and put it together." And I go, "You mean?" No one will accept a six-pack in exchange for, <laughs> and it. it uh, I I ended up sort of getting my way, and um, you just they, you know have to be a really good racer and really good with the thank yous and mm-hmm. until you marry your frame builder, and then you can, you know, annually wish him happy birthday and try to really you know hard to oil a chain now and then and not be disrespectful of the wonderful machine and stuff. <laughs> But I'm not so. Yeah, I, I, all I can say is that the women's marketing is um, interesting because I, I I knew at some point they'd be having to do marketing to women because at some point because there was a time I don't know if you remember this but you're the pioneer that marketed directly to women and didn't even bother with anybody else. Um, right. Simply by listening and taking women seriously and stuff. And I believe well, '87 is when I saw that guy give his talk in Foothill College. Um, so when when did you start? My business started in 1985. So by 87, I, you were sending uh, somebody around to talk about. Yeah, yeah. We, by 87, we were. You know, when I say 85, I'm talking about practically just out of my basement doing stuff. And by 87, we were starting to get associated with sales reps and selling through IBDs, that kind of thing. Right. And there was this little women's symposium at Foothill College. You probably you might even remember the guy that did it, uh, the talk. And he no. had uh, he peppered the audience with um, a question. You know, he said, "Okay, now you you're going to ask me, but won't it feel like you're going downhill all the time?" And then you are going to ask me, you know, some other question. And people are like, "Okay." Uh, and, and then after he gave his song and dance, about you know, with the smaller front wheel, people began to understand. But like, you know, yeah. <laughs> it was cute and memorable. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Holy cow. And then I went on and gave my little four minutes about uh, bicycles and romance and how, like, you know that uh, he or she loves you when they go your pace instead of theirs. <laughs> and that the definition of the the length of the romance is that period as long as they'll go your pace. As soon as they're waiting for you at the top of the hill, that means you're going steady uh-huh. <laughs> or, you know, already engaged or something. That's great. I love it. What a great analogy. So, so what do you think's going on with women in bicycling now? I mean, you're you're still doing the clinics, right? I'm not. Stuff. I'm actually looking for somebody to organize them because I've uh, either become more confused with my senility or gotten tired of making flyers and failing uh-huh. to fill a clinic and stuff. Uh huh. So uh, I guess I'll just tell the audience: if anybody wants to make a quick grand, all they have to do is get 20 women to pay 200 bucks um, for you know a clinic. For and you'll still be at the clinic? Pardon? You'll still be there, right? You'll be well, there. no, I just have to fill, pre-fill something and, to, and pay somebody else to do the organizing. That means there has to be a minimum number of people, 
and that person has to be a salesperson. I'm the opposite of, uh, I mean, regardless of the industry helping themselves to my stuff without paying me, I, I don't actually sell things. But uh-huh. Uh-huh. I did, you know, I'd love to be doing the clinics, but I need uh, a personal assistant or something. You know, I mean, well, Paula Diba times two, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, not yeah. thing. It's someone. She's just incredible. Yeah, yeah. She's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So, so I mean, if somebody like that pulled together the clinic, then you would come, though. And oh, I would, I would do nothing but swan in and teach. And, yeah, just uh, have the fun part done. Well, I'm good at the... Um, that stuff. I'm a really yeah. uh, attentive teacher listener. I can think in both sides of the brain, and all uh, my students come away feeling pretty good. No one gets hurt, uh, yeah. although there's been yeah. the odd booze. But it's been a very long, long time that I've done the clinics. And uh, yeah. I did the first mountain bike clinics that ever existed. And they were always for women. Yeah. And people would go, well, why, you know, why is it with the women's mountain bike and tea society? Why not, you know, guys? And I go, because the men have a club of their own. Oh, really? And I go, yeah, it's called the world. So I'm just like, let me get the women happy on a bike. They're going to go turn their girlfriends onto it. And when you're on your bike, you can't be hating your thighs. And you definitely can't be shopping. And it's really hard to keep in a bad mood when you're riding a bike. So, and then you, mom, mom comes home happy. And when mom's happy, everybody's happy. Or at least, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's true that ain't nobody happy when mama's not happy. And so <laughs> this was just like my way of keeping happy and together. Why not for others and you don't have to be competitive? I, I, it's just a, a fluke in a way. It's not a real fluke, but my competitiveness comes from a combination of a really brilliant genetic inheritance from an incredibly uh, domineering bastard of a father. And so... Um, it always felt good to beat men. Uh, it's sort of a retribution thing. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if, if guys have numbers on them, they're asking for it, and I'm more than happy to deliver the, just, you know, well, whatever it takes to get past them, unless they're going to try to kill themselves staying in front of me, and I'd let them, because I don't want to, uh, There's more know. than one way to get the job done. Well, I just let them have their crash and then go by apologizing that I made them crash. Uh, so, you know, like the first few years I raced, there weren't mixed categories. We just sort of sorted out who was female and male at the finish line, which is nice. And um, that's why I actually had competition for years. And then they sort of uh, separated it out, and it was then it was a lot harder to, like, have anybody care because there would be the seven women racing at right. uh, two, and the main event was on at noon. So yeah, uh, yeah. I, I definitely enjoyed getting to be part of the stampede that was the beginning, the sort of the gold rush of mountain biking, where yeah. you could almost make a fortune if you, uh, you know, operated a company well. And, and uh, there were sort of like mini fortunes made and lost. I think the only guys that actually didn't screw up are, are uh, Joe Breeze and Tom Ritchie, everybody else. Uh, of the of the builder pioneers are uh, you know in Hawk and somebody else bought their brand and then they that just kept them out of Hawk a little longer. Uh huh. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? But uh, are you competing much these days? I don't compete except well once a year I come I get invited if I can to the single speed world championships single speed mountain bike, wow. which is just um, it's sort of like a cross between Burning Man but Data Breakers which is a Four thousand or forty thousand people run in with a lot of costumes in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and a bike race. So Burning Man, Beta Breakers, and a bike race. And so it's a costume ball for fatheads that uh, don't train. Some of them might train, 
And definitely the prizes are two, a tattoo for the fastest man and a tattoo for the fastest woman. And actually, sometimes there's years where they don't even have it be the fastest of those two. It, it might be like the top t- ten fast, you know, guys and gals are, are given a second challenge, you know, uh-huh. the Highland Fling or going around a, a go-kart course. And then whoever wins that gets to have a tattoo, but there's no money. So it hasn't been corrupted yet yeah, for the yeah. 20 or 15 years that it's been going on. I've only done five or six of them because uh, I sort of was not paying attention to that branch of cycling, but I, once I went to one, I realized this is damn close to what we were doing in the early 80s, where, mm-hmm. like, who else would do this? This is so much fun, but it's really hard. Uh, and we nobody dreamed of cigar-smoking um, fat cats that would be, you know, basically getting it to be an Olympic sport, taking their payoffs or whatever, and then uh, the uh, young racers doping in order to go faster because their sponsors require first place or nothing. And, uh, and you know, it got so corrupt so fast it was hard to believe. So single speed is on its way. Um, all they have to do is start, like, keeping track of who got second and third. And then, God forbid, giving money prizes. And then there goes the neighborhood again. And I'll, I suppose that maybe somebody else will think of a new way to express bicycle joy. But for the moment, I'm enjoying the innocent part phase. There, there are still guys showing up in Trek, you know, full kit. Yeah, uh, but it's they're the very much the minority. There's a whole lot more guys with horn helmets and big furry outfits, and uh, you know, like at least four Dorothy Avazes, you know, if the crowd. Yeah, is. yeah. So it's great, and I, I, so I did the last one, which is in New Zealand, and they flew me over, which was incredible. I usually have to do a whole lot of begging, and um, but the Kiwis were easy. It's it's impossible for me to get any American promoter to um, invite me to any race. But overseas, it's they think of me as a um, well, a kind of a uh, I don't know what you call it, but like the mother um, mother dough yeah, yeah. that, that uh, makes the sourdough loaf. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so if we can get some of the starter uh, and this, who was actually there when the real thing was happening, why not? Let's see how many wrinkles he's got. Plus, there's absolutely no men that have issues with women that are good on bikes, which is a mm-hmm. positive sign. You know, mm-hmm. 30 years later, they're thrilled. So That's I'm glad about that. Cute young guys that like BWM. I just can't believe that people in the United States wouldn't want you to come to their event. I mean, um, I the can't either. People could learn from you. Um, well, oh, I'll have to say, it's, uh, I wish I knew also, but who's going to tell me? I'm, uh, could I be too full of myself? Or do I need to learn a lesson? Uh, yeah, mm, maybe. You know what? Somebody has to talk and say what the truth is and just tell it like it is. I mean, that's so refreshing. Nobody does that. Everybody just wants to follow the straight and narrow. And, and well, they were, we laughed at Biopace. And, I mean, be, yeah. being married yeah. to Charlie, who's a guy who's completely ignored whatever the trends were because he was yeah. making things yeah. the way he felt it to be right, yeah. uh, meant that I, too, was going to be one of these wackos in planet left field, minus the aeronautic mechanical engineering background. So I I would be just as bad as the magazine editors as far as my depth of understanding. I was just parroting Charlie's party line. Right, um right. but we definitely had a good snicker over uh biopace and then uh, no and we predicted that there would be a return to round technology after yeah. everybody had specced biopace for a while. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And who knows maybe they're going to have to run through it again because clearly, you know, you have to have uh, make new 
things. And as you must know, everything has to be redone, resized, uh, unique to the, the maker and not transferable or repairable, which is tragic given the, yeah. the situation of, of uh, resources and our planet. Yeah, the Mother Earth thing. Yeah, definitely. Well, definitely. it's just there was a time when a bike could last several generations if it was just yes. ignored in a shed. Yes. And that's those times may be gone. I I hope that's not true, but it's really sad to see how speeds are. You know, they're adding speeds on the back and wrecking the wheel. You know, like they could just make a wider hub. But as soon as they do make a wider hub, then Shimano will just make a 15 speed hub or 20 or whatever. You know, which just because more speeds are better and stuff. Well, you know, I mean, it's it's just this whole economy and this whole buy, buy, buy kind of mindset we've gotten ourselves into. And, and what an incredible trap it's turned out to be. Mm-hmm. Because the minute you say to that machine, you know, we we need to slow down because this is unsustainable in many respects, so we've got to slow down. And then everything really does slow down, you know, and you have people saying, I just got laid off because we don't sell as much and all this. It's, boy, it's an incredible catch-22. But it's the wrong reason to grow. It's like it's like growing on a pack of lies or something. Mm-hmm. It's not not necessarily the right reason. That's the really bothersome thing, I think. It's uh, so, so sad. It seems like the unsustainable, grow, endless possibility of growth scenario is you're so irresponsible and it also doesn't permit planning. Like if there was a belief that, that things could be like a system that what goes in comes out the way nature does it, you know? Yeah. I mean, there yeah. just aren't a lot of fat animals except, of course, domestic right. cats and dogs because they um, somehow have this balance. And, uh, yeah. they, you know, the animal eats just enough to, like, be able to keep on hunting and eating more or whatever. And I, I, we, I try to live that way myself. It's really hard because I'm eating all the uh, leftovers from Orange County. I don't know if I told you, but I'm a dumpster diver. I don't oh. actually buy food. I steal it from the back of the um, the, uh, the dumpsters and the the ones that aren't locked anyway. And I can cook up quite a quite a feast. So uh, it's tough maintaining my uh, my figure when I'm really trying to eat all the leftovers because I feel sorry for them. <laughs> but anyway. Um, even that's unsustainable, you know. They shouldn't throw food away. There's a, yeah. This it's a weird world, and all a, a weird person like me can do is just ride my bike and try not to worry about it because I I seem to be hypersensitive to the the impact of humans. Part of the um, the 70s uh, mindset, you know, where we, we were told what a mess humans were making, and I I totally was taking notes, and you know, okay, no kids, who needs a kid anyhow? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, the thing about cars, like how many people die every year? Forty or fifty thousand die, and that's not even talked about. And then ten times that many are maimed on the highways every year, and it's totally not talked about. And uh, I go, well, what if you ride a bike? And do you, do you, you know, can you miss the the lottery that way? Well, yeah, except that it's really dangerous to ride a bike in the U.S. because they don't oh, yeah. penalize motorists for yeah. harming them the way they do in other countries. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, but I do try, like I stay sane, even though I'm risking life and limb to be just out there dangling in traffic. And that's why dirt is so awesome because there's I was no, just going to ask you about that. Well, yeah. No drunk squirrels, no yeah. trees <laughs> opening their branch in your face. <laughs> and 
you know, you take a wrong turn and then it's your problem. <laughs> right, and that's a pilot error. So all there's to think about is the surface, yeah. the terrain, and uh, all the myriad fun things that we call technical or technicalities that uh, are an acquired taste. You have to get better at stuff. But these, and, of course, that beautiful world around you. Exactly, the, the smell of that damp earth and the, oh, yeah. Yeah. the absence of... Yeah you know, murderers behind the bushes or whatever. I mean, because to me, every person in a car is a potential murderer. And they don't even yeah. have to mean it. They're just operating a deadly weapon. Yeah. And the yeah. testing for it is not stringent enough. So anyway, off-road, you don't have to worry about it too much. Here in Marin, they run around in trucks uh, with radar guns to bust bikers. But that's, that really is only like a dozen rangers. So you're still, uh, you know, spread out over 100 square miles. So we're fine. But definitely no drunk rangers. It's just it's a whole lot safer, but the marketing of mountain biking has uh, universally been that it's for boys and or for oh. extremely gnarly racy women. Absolutely. Preferably the ones that'll take their clothes off because then that's a safe <laughs> woman role model. Uh, I'm thinking about the cycle passion calendar. Yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> it kind of makes me feel sad, but uh, hey, you know what? I pose naked too. It's just that I don't think... That's right, you have. <laughs> yeah, but it's not uh, come hither but in a cold soft way. porn. It's just, mine, mine are different. I, I, you know, I figure, well, my defense is that women love my calendar. I mean, not my, yeah, I have calendars and I have uh, postcards. And they're, they're not... Um, well, you can never say who's getting off and getting you know, pervy about whatever because it could be right, doing right. it about a flower. You know, I mean, we're, we're humans and we, we fetishize almost anything, but... Um, what was where was I going with that? Um, How great it is to get out on dirt it, and not yeah, worry about and be not a, not be less worried. But the thing is packaged for men, and I, oh, right. so yeah. starting when you know I was a very beginning racer, winning all the races, I just I would challenge women to try racing, and they'd be like ah, I'm not competitive. I go, what do you do for a living? And she, oh, I'm vice president of a bank. And I go, okay, that's not competitive, right? Um, so she just wants to have fun, whatever, on a bike. So, you know, with a name like Women's Mountain Bike and Tea Society, there's, it was clear that it was not going to be a race thing. And in yes. fact, um, Marla Streb tells me that when she called me back in the late 90s, I discouraged her from joining because it sounded like she was too strong. And yeah. she might not enjoy, you know, just from, and I don't know her, and I didn't, I just said, look, you're racing already? What that's it's like for kind of lardy slow pokes, nervous, you know, chickens. I'm, you know, like beginners. Look, yeah, are you, are you, yeah. if you're not a beginner, you're gonna be bored. But if you want to join and support what I'm doing, then we'll go out and totally rip each other's legs off. <laughs> um, maybe I didn't say that. That would have been a, it was a mistake because I only met her about two years later, and by then she was really off and running and stuff. She's pretty cool. But anyway, yeah, uh, yeah having a club, creating something for women that were of of uncertain talent and absolutely petrified of getting hurt, and making it as obviously safe and fun and easy as it really is. It was, it was like literally like pulling back the curtain or the, uh, you know, the, yeah, to a circus, but um, somebody's operating the, the gate and letting only guys in or, you know, like if, if you're this tall or this whatever, you can get through. But uh, And just like saying, hey, it's free over here. Just come on in. Yeah, no, you don't have to know shit. Just come in under the tent and yeah, check out yeah. what's here. It's for you. And, oh, by the way, didn't you know that the bicycle was what freed the women 100 years ago? Well, yeah, you've got to hear this story because no one else is telling it. It's not in the magazines. Um, now it is, but it surely wasn't before. Things like, uh-huh. um, 
Well, the idea of women's suffrage, uh, enfranchisement, any of those cool terms they used for the vote, getting it, and it took 70 years to, but it was partly leveraged by having a bicycle or a, a you know technology, I'll call it bike technology, that uh, was just being developed at a breakneck pace in the late 1800s, at the same time as magazines, which were um, not supported by subscribers anymore, they were underwritten by advertisers. Well, the advertisers were advertising, guess what? 200 different bicycle manufacturers. Right. And they um, had to, well, they put their money and their ads in the in the uh, pulp magazines that uh, had stories about happily wed couple that met on bicycles or the woman that nurses the man back to health after he breaks his collarbone and needs to stay in one place for like two weeks and that gives him enough time to fall in love and then they can pedal off into the sunset without disturbing Victorian mores and gender roles too badly, but sell a couple of bicycles while they're at it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, this is all, I'm sure, plain as day to you. Uh, it's not as plain as day to everybody. And there's still people, like in the bike magazines, um, there's a guy named Chopper, I can't remember what his real name is, Greg, somebody or other, who gets these letters from guys, and one of them writes in and says, Dear Chopper, my wa- I, well, my wife's O magazine is like weighs four pounds, and uh, Dirt Rag only weighs, you know, three pages or whatever. What the fuck? And Chopper just goes, because women are such sheep, they just buy anything. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> a successful magazine, a really successful magazine, yeah. is shit. And the pathetic little bike, industry rag that can't could never afford a single um ad you know like the bike manufacturers can't afford it. up a third of a page in whatever oh or oh yeah lady sure. from journal or whatever sure. so um and i've been very lucky vogue and and l and uh ladies home journal and sunset and all these magazines that are in the millions uh, read by millions they've all had features on wombats I figured that my my idea is to go where the women are, rather than trying to shoehorn women into where men are already kind of ruling. Right, right, right. And you you know this too. I'm I'm just being really selfish and uh, over Gabby because I I love having a possible forum and sounding like I know what I'm talking about because I am totally on the outside of the bike industry. And I which is which is actually good because you know you see it from different eyes that way and I think that that's important and I think it really is important for people to hear that they're there is a flip side to this, that, that what you read about in the magazines and what you see and what your perceptions are may be hiding a really wonderful world from you or, right. or turning it off just a little bit. Well, I could really use a job. And uh, actually, when I found out that my classmate at Middlebury was running one part of your thing, I said, I need to work for you. I need to do clinics. Please let me have a job. She's like, I'm sorry. I don't think so. And I go, oh, okay, well... I you know I think well if I can't talk them into it I'm never mind trying to get Cliff Bar who's always doing all this stuff for uh, women's you know women's Luna yeah, yeah for breast cancer awareness and stuff I've had breast cancer I could really use a paycheck and um, <laughs> lately I was offered you know some free clothes if I could be one of their luminaries and I'm like I, I don't think so I, I, honestly I make my own uh, wild clothing from thrift shop stuff and I'm so well known for wild clothing that I. I can't be shoehorned into stuff. However, if you do see fit to giving me an annual salary, I am your woman. Plus, there's no one else that's done what I've done. And uh, yeah. maybe Luna could use a, a Hall of Famer. There was yeah. a firebrand feminist. But that, that may be my big problem is that I'm actually a feminist. Well, 
Do you, do you ever get back east much, or are you staying? Only when invited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking about the Northeast Kingdom in Vermont, which has some incredible mountain bike trails. It's where I went to college. That's where you went to Middlebury? Right. Yep. Me and um, and uh, Liz were classmates. Liz, you, you were roommates? No, classmates. We were both classmates. Friends. So you were in the same class? Yes. How interesting. You, she didn't tell you that? I I had heard it kind of through the grapevine, but I don't. I think you might have mentioned it to me before she did, or maybe Paula did. Someone told me. Well, the but funny I thing is that I didn't know her. When I read the thing in the brain, I just like called her up and said, "Excuse me, but Liz, how could you possibly have been a French major the same year I was there?" She goes, "Well, I got sick for one year, and I've had my junior year abroad, so we somehow managed to not meet each other. Uh-huh. And this was like school of you know like with." Maybe 500 people per class. Right, yeah. It was not a tiny. huge university. And, right? and then French major, that's like even smaller. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then uh, and then she married my creative writing teacher, Bill Hill, which is, uh, I mean, Bob Hill, sorry, um, who was great. He actually, you know, I, I am a writer, and I feel like I owe something to, to that amazing school and to that amazing teacher who, uh, you know, encouraged creative writing. And when I began writing, which was just like the minute I hatched into a bike racer, I would read the magazines and go, I can't believe what they're allowing in these, you know, like these people can't write. And I, I'm, uh, I am incredibly vain and pompous and grandiose, and that's okay. I, I can live with it. It's okay. Uh, You're comfortable with it, and that's all that counts. Well, I'm queen, for God's sake. And I did learn how to write, and so I would. I immediately got jobs writing, and and actually, bicycle. Or sorry, Cyclist Magazine, edited by John Francis. They spoiled my ass because they paid fifty cents a word when every other Whoa. magazine was paying five or ten. And bicycling kept uh, your original. They got the rights to your stuff, um, and I, it was just by accident that that uh, I got to work for Cyclist because California Bicyclist Bicyclist. Um, didn't want my work, and so I I met John Francis, and he he ended up uh, buying lots of my words, and and you know I could get a thousand dollars in those days in 1984. That was a serious chunk of change, yeah. yeah. And it helped pay for my bike racing because I was riding Charlie's bike, and there's no money riding a custom built bike, and I would I would never race. I haven't successfully uh, pursued any mass marketed bikes, uh, partly because I have such a great bike, and also because I'm uh, possibly uh, I'm uncoachable. I'm not a blank slate. I have opinions, and uh, maybe I'm too too uh, smart for my own good, or whatever. But um, I'm not. I don't. I can't see that any bike company would want me, even though I would be happy if they paid. You know, like I will not. I'll I'll not ride my Cunningham if somebody would pay me to ride their bike. But they'd actually have to pay, and that's like, why would we pay an old lady? And I go, you've got a point. Totally. You know, <laughs> like oh, because well, because I'm going to be talking to Vogue next week. I mean, every single year I get all these amazing chances to be in films and magazines that aren't related to bicycles and stuff. <sighs> Subject of documentaries. I mean, this is all useful to the, could be useful to the bike industry, but since they're not, I just like go my merry way and, and sit around waiting to be invited. But, um, that's probably not going to happen. So, But I'm having a great life. Even if I'm not, you know, like I, the, to get to New Zealand, I had to do some serious industrial strength whining. But they they saw the saw the way to like letting me come because I promised, and this is all true. Every time I go to an event, I meet everybody, slap name tags on them, learn their names, memorize you know like two three hundred names, 
Yeah. And that, oh, wow. that's flattering to, you know, people. Absolutely. It's, so it's a, it's a gift, and I speak a bunch of languages, so I'm, you know, international if I could just be shipped over there. Next year it's going to be in Ireland. Uh, Georgina, if you feel like you want to have a, an avatar wearing green, you know, costume and riding on your bike, I'm more than happy to represent. <laughs> Please put it in your pipe and smoke it. We're talking about marketing all the time. I will put that in the plan for sure. That's absolutely fascinating. So so every day includes a bike ride? Is that just part of your daily routine? Well, I use a bike for transportation because I'm afraid to drive a car. Right, okay. So, And I do errands because I forget, like, my lock. So I have to come back and get it. So I, I get serious miles in just from having ADD or whatever. And yeah. I um, managed to, well, like this year I did the two-month tour of New Zealand because when they sent me the ticket, I just go, can this be for like a couple of months instead of just for the the, the week yeah. of the night? Yeah, yeah, no problem. It doesn't cost anything more. And last year there was a big old advertisement um, campaign, advertising campaign for a, a, a banned substance. So I took the money and me and 42 other people rode across the USA uh, advertising of the substance, which I will not name. But anyway, we got paid to ride fully supported across the USA. Wow. And this was just last year? Yeah. That's yeah. Great. And everybody was in that. their 20s except me. Wow. So I, I've always wanted to pedal across the country, and to get paid for it was a dream come true. And if it, if it meant hopping in the sack with a, a icky sponsor, well, so be it. You know, at some point you have to sell out. So that was road riding, though, yeah. obviously, right? Yeah. And, I and was how did it racing. feel to be road riding for that? period of time. I love it. I'm good at it. I'm strong. I uh, was a road racer trying to get into the Olympics when when they announced that women would finally be allowed on bicycles in the Olympics because it hadn't been the case until 1984 LA. Mm -hmm. So I just like, oh, I can do that. I'm a a biker now. I was like post-college. I found out I was a jock and uh, also found out that I was really not cut out for street work anyhow. So done for the the road racing Olympics. But um, totally a failure to conform and and road racing is even more conforming than mountain biking yeah so yeah. i you know i had for example i had hairy legs and big big head and a, a lot of attitudes about the coaches that uh, some of them required a nice uh, bed session before you got selected to the uh, olympic team or whatever you know and uh, that's terrible when you have guys in between uh, a slot on the team and the girl with the talent so you know but i was 25 and not not susceptible to hopping in the you know, right. those guys are sacks. It's just like so incredibly lame. But I, anyway, um, but sometimes it's political getting into an Olympic team, uh-huh. and uh-huh. Uh, yeah. people do what it takes. Well, I, you know, I was on the bottom end of the choosable last position out of the four, and uh, I just. But when mountain biking was getting bigger, I just like I like these people better. And besides, I, you know, my, the fact that I was wearing a hard shell helmet, you didn't need to wear one. I did, and mine yeah. had a flush duck on top, too. So it's this giant <laughs> mixing bowl of big old Bell Biker, the white one, the made of yeah. red sand with a Oh, red sure. Stripe. That was my first helmet. Yep. Yeah, and it's sort of like, uh, you know, has nerd written all over it. And yep. uh, But to me, it was like, excuse me, but I have a college education. Ha, ha, ha. I mean, I, I never get, let two minutes go by without somebody knowing that I, I actually got a degree and I'm protecting it. Um, you can have a convulsions. I'll get 12th place with my stupid helmet. And then finally... Um, the um, and the how the duck was to keep cars from killing you. You know, like if they're laughing at you and pointing, chances are they're not going to not see you. Right. So in right. San Francisco traffic, it was a sort of a survival strategy. 
yeah. and then it just carried over into racing because, uh, well, people in the audience dug the hell out of it. I know the pack didn't love it too much, but uh, I thought it was <laughs> kind of cute. And and costumes are part of my thing. Um, and now with, with the bike um, single speed stuff, I'll send you some some pictures, like because the, the, the just the 900 people, about 10 percent um, are wearing ordinary lycra, and and 90 percent are wearing full oh, I'd love costumes. To see that. Costumes that get in the way, fall off, you know, yeah, it, yeah. it's just incredible. Yeah. So anyway, it's like I get to, I've been two, two or three times around the banquet table, actually three. One was when I was ra- winning every race. Then the second lap was when they made it Mountain Biking International, and I went, oh, i gotta, got to do it. And in those days, I was getting between fifth and 15th place, but at least I was getting to travel to Europe, um, mostly thanks to wombat camps and stuff. And uh, one or two racers, like Susan Dibate, letting me travel with her team and over the men's objections. Because I remember I don't drive. Uh, I'd go in their van and stuff. And then this time, it's around the, you know, my third lap is around with the single speeders, who are just a whole other generation of guys. Um, they drink a little too much. But they really know how to have a good time. And this Literally is, get to Ireland. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm scared. But New Zealand was warm-up. You know, uh, uh-huh. but I'm Irish, so I I really have to go, and it you it means definitely have to getting go. a menial job for ten bucks an hour so I can afford to go. I'll do it, but I would much <laughs> rather like represent somebody who's gonna take advantage of the fact that I get so many photographs and I can write about it and stuff. <laughs> but anyway, um, oh, that's cool. That's very cool. I think a lot, like I might be pushing the limits of your podcast length. What do you think? Yeah, actually, you know, I've been totally engrossed in this, and now that I look at the time, I see, yeah, we've been talking for like 45 minutes. That's great. We, like in me, uh, Georgina, I hope we get to talk. Uh, have you done a podcast with you doing all the talking? You know, I haven't, and I'll tell you. I'll reverse things, this with you if you want, ever. Sure. I would love to do that because if if you're not there or somebody's not there prompting me, right. I tend to say about 10 words and then assume that you'll assume what the other 400 words were. <laughs> right. Well, it would uh, find out, you know, I mean, I would be very happy to be your interviewer. I've, I've certainly had plenty of experience doing it. Uh, the challenge is getting me to shut up in between questions. So. <laughs> well, if you're the moderator, you're going to have to, you know, I reel yourself in and, and run this thing. So Yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, I, I would like to do that. It would be a real honor because, uh, as Charlie said, you should be the one interviewing her, Jackie. Oh, that would be cool. I would love to, to be on the other side. I think it would be wonderful. Well, it'll just fill it out. Um, and here's a, one last thing for the listeners, is, uh, this fantasy that I have. There's a, there's, yeah. a bike, there's a couple of bicycle halls of fame. There's even a women's sports hall of fame that I wish I could be in, but I don't doubt that I ever can because it's uh, supported by a drug company. Um, well, that reminds me when Amgen had had you know like they do the big tour of California. Yeah, and sure. And at the press conference, I go, "Will juniors be getting sample packets of Epo?" <laughs> and uh, they just like, "Who invited her in here?" Get this woman out of here. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, uh, the there was a, one of the title sponsors of the Women's Sports Foundation was an, a band uh, like Robitussin or something. I can't remember which, but it was like the title sponsor of the Women's Sports Foundation. I just like I wrote to them and said, "Excuse me, we're not even allowed to touch that stuff." <laughs> Why are they a sponsor? This is weird. Um, so that's again guarantees never getting it. But anyway, my my global pantheon of of uh, peddlers, the global peddling pantheon, and it would be all kinds of uh, people that are leaders, and it would only be women. But we wouldn't call it the women's global pantheon. It would just be the global peddling pantheon, and it would be like a, a hundred women from from the turn of the century or before, 
oh, the wow. present. You know, Francis Willard, you, yeah. me, uh, Susan Notarangelo. I mean, I can think of a lot. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. and then, you know, finally somebody would go, well, why is it called the Global Peddling Pantheon when there's no guys? And we go, oh, we'll get to him. We'll get to him. I'm sure there's a guy, <laughs> but, you know, right now there's like a little catching up to do. Anyway, so that's my the sample of my sick humor because um, it's really tough getting any women in any bicycle anything. Like uh, but they do want the money in our purse in a really bad way because we're in such yeah. a recession that even our money is now useful. So. Absolutely. But you're yeah. entitled to more of it because you've been taking us more seriously forever. Like that's been your whole thing. And yep. uh, but, but I wish that you had a mommy Warbucks that would just be able to fund the... Um, big magazine ads so that you could do oh. amazing campaigns that Wouldn't didn't that have cool? much to do with bikes. You'd need to be outside of the bike industry, frankly. Um, yeah, I would love to be able to. Well, who knows? Maybe one day it'll happen. Yeah, well, I know that fashion houses and restaurants buddy up to the super rich. Yeah. Because you know? they, yeah. they have their great ideas and stuff. They absolutely have to have some, you know, either a dot-com or a fourth-generation Rockefeller or whatever, and they, they can realize these visions. And I mean, it's only because I've known a few people like that that uh, you shouldn't be, uh, well, it, it inhibited by a lack of money. It would just be great to figure out who's got it and believes in what you believe in, and then just like, you know, it's not going to be Madonna, unfortunately. But just somebody with Wajido and figure out how to make them your personal, um, you know, Money source in, right. where they don't care if they don't get a so-called return. Oh. Right, right. This this can be all end up on the cutting room floor because this is what I think of as backroom dealing. You know, like man, we got to make something happen, but you got to have money, unfortunately. <laughs> anyway, but how to oh, live wow. with um, with grace and and dignity? You're doing it, and I really really respect you. Well, thank you very much. It's been great talking to you. Just a super conversation. I totally enjoyed it. Fantastic. Uh, we'll we'll talk and write some more. All righty. I would love to. That would be great. Thank you again. Oh, it's my pleasure to get the gas. <laughs> <laughs> I love Ciao. it. All right. Take care, Jackie. I will. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>